Thanks for listening to the Tribe Church Podcast. Our prayer is that these episodes bless and equip you in your apprenticeship to Jesus. Our goal as a community is to become more like Jesus and to offer Him through our lives to those around us here in Austin, Texas. More like Jesus, more for others. For more on our church, check out atxtribe.org. God bless. We are in the middle of a series called Reconstructing Faith. And the idea behind the series is that every single person in this room and outside of this room, uh, whatever faith you belong to or have no faith whatsoever, if you claim that you're an atheist, you also have a lot of faith in something else. Uh, all of us are, all, are sort of constantly questioning and reconstructing our faith in our belief system, right? We all see the world through a, a lens of faith. We can't help it. Um, and then there, where there's, a, there's an ongoing reconstruction, but it's also there's, there are times of, in life that are sort of turning point in life where we have to almost do a reconstruction, like a rebuild of, of what we believe the world, how, it, how the world works. And, um, and sometimes you come from the outside of Christianity into Christianity and you start sort of carefully going, what is this about, you know? in testing the waters. Sometimes you've walked away from the faith for a number of reasons. Sometimes it's because of you, sometimes because of others. And you're sort of easing your way back in, sort of careful. Um, and all of, the, whatever the range of experiences you're, you are, that you have been in, there's a way to do it well that can change your life for the better. So the, the title of this particular sermon, are you ready for this? What's with all the rules? That's the title. And I derived this title from my experience because I came into Christianity um, from, from the outside of the faith. I didn't grow up in the church. I was an atheist. Then I was, a East, I was like Eastern philosophy leaning, New Age, sort of the American brand of, of Eastern philosophy, which requires nothing of you at all, uh, which is awesome, which is what I liked exactly. Uh, but also because there's two types of people in this world from, from the standpoint of law and rules, right? There are people who love the rules, right? Because they make them feel safe and better and so you, they, they make sense of the world through rules and they love the rules. Some people are, are, if you are bold enough to say, I'm a rule follower, raise your hand. Okay, there's a few rule followers in the room. And then there's the other people who will hate the rules, which would be me, right? And uh, sort of if you raise your hand if you're not a, a, a rule breaker, mostly. Um, so. So uh, when I came, like, I, that's sort of one of, the, one of my big things with the, with the Christian faith is what is up with all those rules? Because I'm not a rule follower by nature. So I just I was always had this aversion to sort of the structure of it, and it just felt claustrophobic, and it was just, uh, it's just not my thing. What's up with all the rules? And, um, and, and after realizing it, I, yeah, I was thinking about it even this week, it was actually really cool to look back and go, what is it that I what is it about rules that I like, right? And usually I like the rules when they apply. Um, when I dislike the rules is when I apply to others, right? Um, when we ap they apply to me. Someone else came up with them, so you say, you know, when they apply to me. Um, they restrict my freedom, I hate that. Rules don't change when I want them to. And I want to, them to change when I change, when I evolve, quote unquote, or my mood is different, right? Uh, they can also be used against me, and I don't like that. What is it, when do I like the rules? I like the rules when it applies to other people, right? The laws are there for good reason, I say. 
they keep the crazies under control. You don't get to bend the rules just because dot, 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 right? They will protect me, the rules. So it's fascinating because we all, even if you can be a rule follower or a rule breaker, but you sort of have a love-hate relationship with rules because you change, circumstances change, your mood changes, and sometimes you like it, sometimes you don't. Um, but rules are there wherever hu humans try to coexist. Think of, give me a second to explain the context here. Right? Have you ever seen a, a kids play in the, in, in the, like in the play area, whatever? Like a f two five-year-olds meet for the very first time. How did it look like? They meet each other and they go, I can, I can have fun with you, I think. Probably a minute into what they're doing, they establish the rules. They establish the rules. You do this and I do that and we're gonna have a lot of fun and they start doing that until somebody breaks the rules. And then somebody else starts crying. <laughs> this happens in the span of three minutes, probably. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Whenever humans try to coexist together, they, they come up naturally, organically, but, uh, with a set of rules because they were trying to create the context for which to coexist and to flourish together. That's human nature, that's how we operate, right? Uh, when, you, when, you go, when you drive down the street, there, there are rules all around you that you don't even think about. They were built so we can coexist and get from point A, your house, to point B, the church, without getting killed or killing somebody. Those rules were created for that, right? Um, now, it's fascinating because we think of them, how we think of rules actually really, really matters, collectively. Case in point, for years, my wife would remind me, coming from a guy, you know, talking to a guy in the third world, that stop signs are not a suggestion. <laughs> the reason she had to remind me of that over and over and over again is that A, I'm a, I'm, I'm a rule breaker, so I go, well, there's nobody here, why would I stop? Doesn't make any sense. The rule doesn't apply because the context is different. There's no one here. B, because there are societies and, and cultures where uh, stop sign is a suggestion. So there's a, collective, there's a collective consciousness that basically says, the rules are, I'm telling you, the rules are exactly the same there that they're here. Exactly the same. But the people collectively think of them differently. Have you noticed that? Like if you go to India, for example, it's the same rules. Traffic looks very, very different in India. Go to Russia, looks very, very different in Russia. De Deb had a culture shock when she moved to Moscow, going, what on earth, you know, how do you, she didn't drive. As an American, she's driven since she was what, five, 15, 16? She didn't drive at all in Russia because she was petrified by the culture. <laughs> the rules are exactly the same. People just don't follow them, right? Does that, do you understand what I'm saying here? So what happens, here's, why am I telling you all these stories? It's because we have this love-hate relationship, we're very, very different, and collectively we create sort of a culture of rules or laws, and a culture that follows them, culture that doesn't follow them. Um, and this, was, this is true now, and it was true 2,000 years ago, and it was true 4,000 years ago. So Jesus comes in, this, let's say this is year zero, right? The year of our Lord. Jesus comes in, the law, the Jewish law, the, the, the laws and the commandments that governed 
Israel have been in existence for also millennia by then, right? So he comes in, so remember this, we, tr we sometimes, especially me, when I first came into Christianity, I was like, why would all these people hold these old restrictive rules um, uh, that were written 2,000 years ago by a guy I don't even know if he existed really? Like old-timey book, why? Doesn't make any sense to me. What's up with all the rules? Back then when Jesus comes in, it was the same thing. Some people that existed millennia ago had written the Old Testament, right? And the whole Israel society is sort of trying to, uh, is interpreting that and living according to that and flowing in that, in, in that situation. And Jesus comes in and starts pushing against it a bit, right? Like he starts, for example, in the, in the minds of the people who are so the, the gatekeepers of, of the law, of the law, there's always somebody in the room who's the gatekeeper of the law, right? Have you heard that? Are you the gatekeeper? Who is the gatekeeper in the family? Think about it. There's always somebody, right? The gatekeepers of the law were, were being irritated by Jesus because he was sort of pushing against it, trying to reinterpret them or, or, or shedding a different light to it. So all of the rule breakers in Israel, all of the hippies, got all excited. This is our guy. This is our guy. Revolution is coming, baby. Right? And, that, and they're all fired up because Jesus came, came into us in this new young rabbi, a fiery guy, and he is shaking things up. And then Jesus comes in and he explains, hippies, calm down. I'll tell you what this is all about. So let's read this together. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. This is the old-timey stuff, right? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill. Okay, repeat this word with me. Ples plerosai. Say plerosai. Plerosai is a Greek word. We'll unpack it in just a second. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to plerosai the law. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and, and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven of heaven. There's so much in the scripture, you can meditate about this for a week and, and get insights every day, right? So let's go with plerosai first. Plerosai means to make full, right? So what, what Jesus is saying is this, I haven't come to cancel all the stuff that irritates you, that's controversial, that's creating strife, that's, uh, that, that is that is limiting, restricting you as you feel like. You know, this is to the hippies, obviously. This is, he's speaking to me, going, you know, calm down. I have come to fully preach the why behind the what. Plerosai. To fully preach the why behind the what. So don't dismiss it. Don't throw it out. This is there for a reason. I will just, and I know that what irritates you, but I'll explain to you the why behind the what. And it will make more sense. Right? It's like my wife saying to you, let me explain to you why a stop sign is there. 
I know it irritates you. I know there's nobody in the road, but let me explain to you the why behind the stop sign. Right? So he's obviously speaking to two groups of people actually here. He's not only speaking to the breakers of the law, the people who rebel against the law, which is somebody like myself. You can lean in that direction. He's also speaking to the opposite side. He's speaking as a commentary to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees were sort of the overachievers of their time, the religious overachievers. They were amazing people, actually. You know, in the... In, in some of Christian culture, they're painted almost like a caricature. Like all oh, these gatekeepers, these rule followers. There's, these guys were amazing, actually. They were the overachievers. Those are the guys who are among us, and maybe you're an overachiever, who will, who will create the status for themselves by being better than everybody else. Do you know somebody like that? At least I'm not dot, dot, dot. Right? Have you ever uh, heard your kids say, what, what, what was your grade? I got a B. A B, really? Yeah, everybody else got a C, so, you know, you should be grateful. <laughs> That's, does that make sense? It's, st- it's you, you find your place in society um, based on how well you follow the rules, and your status is defined by that. He's speaking to that as well, right? But even the Pharisees, if you think about this well and if you study who they were, they, these were not just arrogant, legalistic guys, overachievers who did it better than everybody else. They were really genuinely trying to bet, get a better society going. What they were saying is basically, look, if we all collectively follow the rules of God, our life will be, be-, be-, be- better, better together, which is true. Like if more people stop at stop signs, there are going to be ma- less accidents. Is that accurate or not? Absolutely. Collectively, that's what, that's what they were trying to do. And that's what makes all of these issues that we wrestle with collectively as a society, even in secular society, so intense. When we talk about abortion, when we talk about legalizing a substance or not legalizing a substance, when we talk about the death penalty, about human rights, about sort of this balance between uh, this, you know, the power of the state and the, uh, the, fer- and the federal government, even the, the government in general, their role in our lives here in America. We have lots of debates, lots of opinions about those things. The reason why they're so heated, they, why they're so personal, is because ev- each side believes that if you see the world according to these rules, their set of rules, their, their set of principles, society as a whole will be better. That's why they fight for it. It's very, very sincere. You know, an emblematic sign, uh, uh, you know, a couple of years ago where, where there was this, just this wave of, of consciousness and debate and pain and hurt about racism, right? Um, I saw a sign you know, I go for prayer walks in, in my neighborhood. There's a sign, you know, in, in, the, in the grass that says, abolish racism, right? And the sentiment is very, very understandable. We hate this stuff. Why would you think of somebody and characterize somebody as inferior to yourself because of the color of their skin? It's the most ridiculous thing ever. And yet at the same time, what's emblematic is that you can abolish racism in the same, you know, no more successfully than you can abolish hate, or you can abolish greed, or you can abolish, you know, pride, which incidentally contribute to racism in the first place. 
Those are the elements of racism. And the tricky part is this. You cannot abolish those things because these things come from the inside out. They cannot be controlled or changed from the outside in. You cannot abolish lust or jealousy or violence or desire for power. You cannot abolish those things. There's, a, there's an amazing quote by C.S. Lewis, and this is what he says. He describes it well, as always. You cannot make men good by law. And without good men, you cannot have a good society. That is why we must go on to think of the second thing, of morality inside the individual. Let that sink in. See, we're fighting for this stuff. We believe in this stuff. We're passionate about this stuff. This is going to make us better together. Why? Because we know that a set, we know instinctively that there's a set of right ways to see the world. That if we all believe it and we all act in accordance to that, we'll have a flourishing society. And yet you cannot legislate righteousness. It can't be achieved, Right? And yet at the same time, if we can imagine very easily that if we're collectively more righteous, that's going to change society. And we see societies that are more naturally, organically righteous and other uh, societies where people just don't believe in the same way. And this, uh, this is, there's one way of being collectively and there's another way of being collectively. And we want the better way of being collectively. Let me explain it this way. Which society will do better? A society that denies the law of gravity? Like imagine a city or a county or a state or a country that, that all collectively we deny the law of gravity. We, think, we just don't think it's right. We don't believe it's true. It's, it's a conspiracy. Or another group of people that says there is a law of gravity and we're going to sort of work around it. Who's going to do well in the, long run, in the long run? What's the option, you think? It's actually an easy question. You should, you should probably call it out. Okay, yeah. Yeah, if you embrace something that works, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, and you embrace it, you understand how, how gravity works, and everything you do in this group of, with this group of people is acknowledges the reality of things, you'll probably do better. Right? So, the Bible, and this is, um, this is something that m many of us have to wrestle with or, and are uncomfortable with is a moral law established by a loving God and it, it is the way that leads to human flourishing. Now you may not believe it at all, right? But this is what, it, this is what the Bible states. Right? Let's read, let's read it again. There's a moral law established by a loving God and is the way of human flourishing. Here's the second part of it. The way to flourish as a human being is by following his son who came to fulfill the law. To explain the why. And here's the, the, the unspoken part here. It's the what, which the, the Pharisees emphasize the what, the what, the what. Let's follow it. Let's be disciplined. Let's all together do it. Let's blah, blah, blah. Then there's the why behind the law, which is because it's good for you. It's good to stop at a, sti at a stop sign every once in a while. It's good for you. It makes people, it makes you safer, it makes people around you safer. Right? But there's a third element in this as well. And this is that there's also a who behind the what. And that who is Jesus. And that is mind-blowing, weird, 
hard to believe, hard to embrace. There's a who. And that's what, the, that, that's what Jesus is trying to explain is that what the Pharisees, the weakness of the Pharisees is not that they were trying to follow God. It's not that they were trying to, f- to follow the rules. It's not even that they're trying to make a better society. It's that they didn't, ac- they made the emphasis on them and on the, on the what itself and not on the who. And that's what Jesus is, uses the word, to describe that he uses the word righteousness. Righteousness is a relational word. See, when we think of righteousness collectively, oftentimes we think of righteousness as a performance word. You are righteous. What does that mean? You're more disciplined around, you, around the, the, the law, right? The rules. But righteousness is not a performance word. Righteousness is a relational word. Righteousness is you and I have righteousness between us. You and I are aligned. Us and God we have righteousness. You, I'm righteous towards God, not because I do better than everybody else, but because I'm, I follow him, a person, a being, a power. I am righteous. There, it's a relational word. So what Jesus is trying to explain is that there's a why behind the what. And then there's also a who behind the what. And that's how righteousness is discovered. Now that changes everything. Right? C.S. Lewis, again, puts it, puts it beautifully. He says, it is after you have realized that there's a real moral law, basically as, as real as the physical law of gravity, and a power, the who, behind the law, and that you have broken, broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It is after all of this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk like imagine yourself right you go I go there's the the, you know Mopac is empty I'm going 90 I'm a little late to a meeting I'm going 90 miles an hour until I see what whoop whoop it's the sound of the police (laughs) and that is the moment and that is the moment ladies and gentlemen right? That I crave grace. That I crave forgiveness. That I believe. I want, I am now in this position of a subject under a power. You know? When the lights flash and I stop and that kind officer hopefully does a little knock, knock, knock on my window and I roll it down. My posture changes, right? My voice changes. My heart races. I am now on the wrong side of the power that establishes and enforces that rule. And that is the moment where faith and grace and all of that stuff come together. There's a focal point. It becomes so much more real in that moment than normally. Does that make sense? And biblically speaking, morally speaking, that's what we're talking about. The Bible teaches us there's a set of moral rules, and you will like them or not like them. You believe in them and not believe in them. And they are as certain and as stable and as established as, as 
Any law can be, as the law of gravity. And there's a power, there's a who behind that law, who established that. And in the moment you realize that you are on the wrong side of that power, in that moment, that's, and not before that, is where Christianity starts speaking. And until that moment, you have no idea, and it's all theory, and it's all words, and it's all debates, but in that moment, something shows up, and it's called repentance. There's a biblical word, repentance. And the Greek word behind it is metanoia. It's the same word we use, the root word for metamorphosis. Metanoia, a transformation of the mind, right? I'm going 90. Mopac is, is free. It's ridiculous that we have these limitations. It should be more flexible. I, I, can, I can create a better set of rules for this city of Austin of ours. You know? I have all these ideas. And I will do how I think, how I think sh things should be done. Until whoop, whoop, it's the sound of the police. And they, we stop, and he knocks on the window, and I roll it down, and there is repentance. I'm so sorry, officer. That is the metanoia, baby. That is the transformation. All pride goes away because you're, you are in the hands of a power that can enforce this law. So in the, in, in, in the book of Matthew, in, in Matthew 5, which is what we're preaching from today, Jesus contrasts six human laws uh, that are fulfilled in righteousness, right? And, and what he's, the way he says it is this. He, he, he gives us these contrasts in, in Matthew 5. We're not going to read all of them. Uh, but he, he says, you have heard it was said. Right? He starts with that. He says, you know, you know how, what they say about the stop sign? But then he goes, but I tell you. But I'll, let me explain to you. Let me fulfill the law. Let me preach deeply into this reality so you understand where this comes from, why this leads to you, your flourishing, why this collectively leads to us flourishing. So he starts with murder, right? And he says, and he, and he, he, he stops with murder, but he then he goes, this is what leads to murder, unresolved human conflict. So he preaches deeper, he fulfills the law. Then he talks about oaths. Don't, do not say oaths. And then he goes, the reason why people want to say oaths is because they want to, you know, they, they want to communicate to the other person that he, you will stand by your word. And he goes, don't do any oaths. Just say yes, have integrity. Or say no, have integrity. That is why people sort of resort to oaths, right? Then he talks about this, the, the, one of the most famous sayings is about turning the other cheek. Because if somebody strikes, you turn the other cheek. He was, it is said that he's referring to a Roman law where a, an occupying force, a legionnaire, a Roman, can, can slap an, an, an Israelite, an oppressed person, a certain way. And it's legal. And people, of course, resented it. And he says, no, turn the other cheek. And what he's saying is, this is the law, but what you can do is do a Jedi, a Jedi trick. Somebody slaps you, just go, okay. And what you're doing here is you're communicating about God's grace. 
It's hard teaching. In Matthew 5, verses 43 and 45, he sort of dives into another thing. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And what he's saying here is this. Of course, it's normal for you to love your, you know, your loved ones and hate your enemies. But let me tell you about a better way. It says, imitate, you are the children of God. Your father, the who, behind the why, behind the what. This is how he is. He makes it rain upon everybody. The evil man's crop and the, and the good man's crop. He makes the sun rise over the good man and the bad man. And if you imitate that, you're bringing into being something new, something beautiful. You're transforming that human being who you're praying for while he persecutes you. It transcends our instincts. Let me give you, so, so that's why it's so hard to actually read the Bible. It's so hard to be in, in a true faith community. It's so hard to actually take this seriously because it transcends us, it's beyond us, it irritates us. It doesn't make any sense because it's from God. But maybe, just maybe, this is an actual moral law that is as real as the law of gravity. Let me give you a list of the, of the rules I didn't get when I was becoming a Christian. Sexual purity, it was a foreign concept to me. I didn't understand how that made any sense, right? That Christians marry only marry Christians. Didn't make any sense. It seemed sort of elitist and all kinds of other things, right? Uh, sacrificial financial giving as a lifestyle to your church, to the poor, to your family, to brothers and sisters. It didn't make any sense to me that as a lifestyle, that's a, that's a central thing. It's a moral law. Devotion to fellowship, devotion to Bible, devotion to prayer, loving your enemies. I didn't get that. Submission to spiritual authority. I didn't want to submit to anybody. Voluntarily, especially. Marriage roles. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. on. Of what I had, what's, what's up with all the rules, the things that I had trouble with. And I'll tell you what, if you have less, uh, left the faith, you didn't leave because of, of, of people. The people are just, uh, people are an irritant because we're messy, right? People are different. We have bad seasons and good seasons, but you left because you don't like the moral law. And you can rationalize it any kind of ways, but you don't like a set of, a, a set of moral laws and you protest against it, you push back against it, and you w don't want to live in accordance to them and how they were presented to you. And sometimes they were, very often as a matter of fact, they're misconstrued by people, absolutely. But at the very core of that, of that rebellion is me saying there's nobody here, why should I stop? Doesn't make any sense, right? So here's a, here, I want to give you three steps to consider. If you're thinking about 
reconstructing your faith, thinking about coming back, or thinking about even coming in the first time. Here's, here, here are the three questions you can ask yourself. Am I willing to vulnerably share the rules I don't understand or agree with? The reason I tell you this is the first step is because we want to, as human beings, to fit in. We don't want to ask uncomfortable questions. So we just keep them, stuff them, and just sort of let them fester there. It's not gonna help you. What is it that you have a problem with? In the Christian faith, in the Bible, in, in community, in church, what is it that you have a problem with specifically? Can you be vulnerable about those things with somebody? That's a very important question to be able to answer. Number two, am I willing to wrestle with scripture, not just disagree with people? And here's what I mean by this. It's very easy to pontificate, especially if you've been around the faith, you know your Bible, right? Oh, you can speak all day long. You can speak circles around some of those amateurs. But the harder question to, to, to answer is this. Are you willing to wrestle with scripture itself? Because you cannot argue scripture easily. It says what it says. Will you have the discipline to say, I don't like this, but what does scripture say, and does it have authority? And that is the real question. You know, during, co during the, the, the sort of the years of isolation and COVID, we had several amazing members of this community leave, and they left over ideas that they didn't like, and they were not willing to wrestle with scripture. All they wanted to do is argue with people. Forget about the people. What does the scripture say, actually? And who's gonna, what's going to give? Is it your opinion that's going to give, or are you going to just dismiss scripture? And that is the bottom line. Number three, step three. Am I willing to submit to the authority of God or prefer to be my own authority? And that's what it comes down to when it comes to the rules. When it, that's what it comes down to. You enter the faith for the first time, you have to surrender to the, uh, to the authority of God, to the who behind the what. And in, in, in time, you'll understand the why behind the what. And that was sort of my journey. My journey was like, there's like a long list of things that I was uncomfortable with. And I just said, you know what? After wrestling with scripture, I think there's something here that I don't understand, but I'm just willing to, uh, to submit to the authority of it and live in that, in that place. I'm going to start stopping at stop signs and see if that, if, that, if that leads to human flourishing. And you know what? 25 years later, yes, that leads to human flourishing. And anybody who sort of digs in and lean, leans in in that particular way will tell you that leads to human flourishing. There's a certainty there. This is why Jesus says, blessed, you are blessed when you get it. Because ultimately, you know, you know how I said, you know, there's only two types of people, people who like the, law, uh, the, law, uh, the rules and don't like the rules. There's only two ways of looking at it on a very high level, of looking at the faith, this faith or any other faith, actually. There is a, here's one way, and you can't have it both ways. That's the problem. There's a moral, there are moral values developed through human development, and I get to contribute my moral values to humanity. I'm being very kind in the formulation of this. Have you noticed that? I'm not being sarcastic. Not being sarcastic. This is real. People 
there are moral values in any society, a set of rules, just like two kids start playing together, in a minute they have rules. Any human environment where people try to coexist develop moral values. That's risk, this is good, this is bad, this is wrong, this is right, right? So one way of looking at the world is this, morally, as, uh, in, the, in the context of moral laws, is there's a set, humanity develops and it evolves and it becomes better and better and better, and through those traditions, moral values are developed, and I am just one more person to contribute to that richness and treasure of moral values, and I'll decide what that contribution is going to be. That's one way of doing it, one, one, one way of thinking of it, and you might not formulate it that way, but that's your posture. That is the bottom line, right? That's on the high level, one of the two choices. Here's the second choice. There, are, there is a universal moral law, which basically means it, ha it exists whether we like it or not. It is objectively there. Created by a relational God, a power created that moral law. And I get to either submit to it or reject it at any given time. That is the second way. There's only two ways. And what I want to encourage you to do as we take communion in a second, we take the bread and the wine, we do it to commemorate and meditate on the role of Jesus, the historic role of Jesus, the spiritual, the world-changing role of Jesus, the he behind the why, behind the what. Is where, where are you in these two spaces? Are you more on the, hey, I'm, I'm my own set of moral values, I'm contributing my own, I have my own way, and I'll just, I'm sort of flowing with humanity that way, and that's how humanity is, which is fine, which is totally fine. You just need to have the discipline and the, <laughs> you know, and the honesty to say, yeah, this is where I stand. And then my encouragement to you is see what that produces in the long run. Do you like the harvest of it? You know, when I was entering Christianity, I, could, I, would, I would answer it that way, but I did not like the harvest. I did not like the outcome. I was like, you know what? This is not working for me. So I opted for the second one. And the second one is that there is a moral law, and there's a power that created it, and in relationship, in a loving relationship with that power is how you navigate that moral law. And it leads to human flourishing. Let's pray.